Let's read from John chapter 1. This is our last study in John 1, verse 43, through to the end of the chapter. And today we're thinking about gospel ministry, and particularly thinking about following Jesus. Verse 43, this is the word of God. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And we there thank God for this, uh, his word to us. Let's pray. Lord, you are the king of all beauty, and we pray that now, as we turn to your word, we will see you as you are, and worship and adore you as we ought. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we conclude our studies in John chapter 1. And it's been a thrilling study, I hope you will agree, as we have thought about who Jesus really is what the gospel message is really all about. And today, we're going to think about how we are to share it and, and what's involved in that aspect of it. Soon, we're going to, uh, next week, God willing, we're going to uh, see more of the teaching and signs and miracles of Jesus. We're going to look at that next week. But think about that, where we've been so far, just for a minute or two. Who Jesus is. Think of the great explanation uh, all the pictures that we've seen of Jesus in chapter 1. The Word. The Word who was with God. The Word who was God. The creator of all things. The, the light of men. The life of men. God made flesh. God ma making his dwelling among us so that we might believe and receive. And then we'd, we saw the thrill of the gospel message itself probably most beautifully and powerfully presented in that statement, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the essence of the gospel message, the sacrifice for our sin. And today, we're going to think about the thrill of sharing that message. In other words, what is our mission? 
How do we conduct it? As we've said before, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 is almost like a secondary introduction, more like the usual introductions that we get in the other Gospels. But what we find in verse 19 of chapter 1 following is, is the fact that we're introduced to the, the discipleship team. We're beginning to see who was with Jesus in his ministry, the, the discipleship body. We're introduced to Andrew and Simon Peter, and today, Philip and Nathaniel. But the interesting thing I want us to see today is right from the very beginning, Jesus is preparing his disciples for gospel ministry, right from the very beginning, from day one. Now, I, I think we get that so very wrong very often in the modern church. I think we sometimes, maybe even many times, are slow at expecting converts to become disciples. Yeah, we want to see people saved, don't we? Of course we do. That's good and right and proper. But we should also want to see the saved, the convert, become sold-out disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that discipleship should come immediately after conversion. In fact, they should happen simultaneously because that's what we see in John 1. And this is our model for ministry. The question is, I suppose, how are we to minister? How do disciples of Jesus actually do ministry? Well, after conversion, he expects us to do certain things. And they're not some kind of fancy marketing ploys that, that, that we are supposed to invent. There's no secret silver bullet to doing ministry. Jesus lays it out. This is the way I do it. And this is the way I want you to do it. Jesus tells us how to make him and his mission known. Now, not everything that can be said about our ministry strategy is said here, but I think there's enough here to, uh, to challenge us, to motivate us, to encourage us. So we're going to just stick with the passage that's before us. And we have three major things to say. The first one is this. Jesus is the ruler over his gospel ministry. We'd expect that now, wouldn't we? But that's reality. Jesus is the ruler over his gospel ministry. And we see that in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, it's extremely important that we remember that Jesus actually is the ruler of his gospel ministry because if we remember that, if we realize that, it'll save us from making lots of mistakes. It'll save us from many a distraction. He is the ruler. He's in charge. He's the king in all his beauty. And he decides the details of his mission. It's not complicated, actually. It's actually quite straightforward. It's simple, but it demands commitment from us. And I suppose that's where the problem lies. Are we committed to doing ministry his way? And I think he decides three things here. He spells them out for us in a kind of model of gospel ministry. Where we go, whom he calls, 
and what we actually must do. So leave for Galilee. We'll think about that. Finding Philip and then follow me. I suppose the where, the whom, and the what of gospel ministry. Why Galilee, we might ask the question. Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Why Galilee? Well, if you know anything about John's gospel, you will know that the, the vast majority of the gospel is set in Jerusalem. It's set in Jerusalem. Here, the strat- the strangely so for John's gospel, it begins in Galilee. But again, we ask the question, why Galilee? Well, he chooses where. He's the ruler. But probably the choice was deliberate. Galilee, you see, was the poorest region of Israel. We may call it the backwoods of Israel. There were many ethnic groups there, all kinds of needy people from all kinds of backgrounds. They met together, they lived together in the the backwoods of Galilee. And therefore, right from the get-go, Jesus is saying, my mission is to the all sorts of people, all sorts of people, not the rich and the educated and the moral and the religious, but actually the poor, the addicted, the confused, the lost. No careful selection here of low-lying fruit. That's what we talk about sometimes in evangelism, low-lying fruit easy targets for the gospel. No, no. Needy people in a poor region. I think Jesus is setting down his marker. Why Galilee? Because my mission is to all types of people. And disciples need to learn that lesson. He's the ruler. He sets the agenda. But we might ask, why Philip? Finding Philip. Again, we might say, hey, it's his choice. I mean, he, he chooses whoever he wants to choose. But there seems to be an intentional choice here of Philip, then Nathaniel, and Andrew, and Peter, and all the others, and you and me, by the way, if we're in Christ. He's in charge, not us, remember that? But Philip is a very interesting character. He's known as a man who was drawn to the different kind of people, not the usual kind of people. For instance, in chapter 12, together with Andrew, he brings a group of Gentile Greeks to meet Jesus. That's the kind of guy he was. And I think, again, Jesus is singling that his desire is to reach different ethnic groups, not just religious Jews, but irreligious Gentiles. And right from the beginning, he's laying down his marker, and he says, you know what, Philip, I I, I like your heart. I like your heart. He's the ruler over his ministry, and rightly so, because Jesus wants to create a multi-ethnic church, interracial, all colors, classes, and creeds, the whole lot. That was always his intention. So, why Galilee? Because of the kind of people who lived there, 
people from broken, difficult backgrounds. Why Philip? Because he had a heart for those kinds of people. But what about follow me? Why is that important? Because that is the decision of the ruler. The ruler says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. It's a simple command. Literally, it means keep on following me because that's the primary calling upon your life. I wonder, do you realize that? You're a Christian today? Great. Do you realize the primary calling on your life is to follow Jesus? Salvation is not just a ticket to heaven. That's the way it's been sold by evangelicalism, sadly, uh, in our land for, for many, many years. The calling of the gospel is to follow Jesus all our lives right into heaven. But it's not just a ticket to heaven. There should be an excitement, a burning desire to follow Jesus hard and long. Some find... Um, the difference between thinking about our occupation and our vocation helpful in this regard, and I, I, I think it's right. You know, our occupation is what we do for a living. That's if you're still working. Our vocation is what we do for Jesus all the time, at work, at home, at play, in the church. And it's summarized in that, those two words, follow me, follow me. It's our primary calling. It's for all of us, every disciple, every Christian, 24-7. Yet you go to work for your um, 37 and a half hours, or if you happen to be a Presbyterian minister, 60 hours, you know what it's like. We follow him. Right here, out there, everywhere we go, we are followers of Jesus. He's the ruler. He sets the agenda. How do we do that? Well, we study him. We worship him, we are devoted to him, and most of all, we simply imitate him. We just be like Jesus at work with our family in the church. Because you see, we're all under the authority of the king. He's our leader, our boss. He sets the agenda. He rules over all. Are you getting the picture? We're already finding out how we as disciples are to do ministry the ruler tells us how. But secondly, we see that Jesus is the reality of his gospel ministry, verses 44 to 46. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Poseidon. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see said Philip. Again, we can miss so easily what we're being taught here by God because we are tempted to devise clever strategies or, or we're tempted to say, no, all you do is give us money, we'll pump money into evangelism and, and we're sure to get results. Or, or perhaps with all kinds of other approaches just to get the work done. Well, of course, there's a place for strategy there's a place for buildings. There's a place for money. There's a need for money. Of course there is. But the reality behind gospel ministry is Jesus himself. And we see this in two ways here. His method, which is one-to-one, -one, and his message, which is basically himself. 
So let's think of the method in verse 44 and, and, and 45. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about. So Jesus found Philip, verse 43. Philip found Nathanael, verse 45. And what we're seeing here is Jesus chooses Philip. Philip knows Nathanael. He goes to Nathanael. He witnessed to Nathanael. He has a one-to-one with Nathanael. You see what the method is? It's not complicated. It is one, two, one. I I think that um, we as the church are easily intimidated by the sheer numbers of people who don't believe. And we look around, there's so many lost people, so many damaged people, so many hurt people, and sometimes we panic. And the easy thing to do is just to stick our heads in the sand and pretend it's not there or it doesn't matter. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to begin. We don't know what to say. And so we're intimidated into doing and saying nothing. Because it just seems too big an issue. The task is too big. And we begin to accept the sorry lost state of multitudes around us. We just simply accept it. That's the way things are. But what is the method of Jesus? Again, he's he's facing a challenge greater than even ours because the church has not even yet formed in the sense of Pentecost church. What is the method of Jesus? What should our method be? One at a time. Simple as that, one at a time. It's so simple, it's uh, unbelievable. But it's personal. It involves all of us as believers. It's costly. It's painful. It can be very, very difficult. In fact, often there's little or no fruit. And so we're tempted not to do it. Even though it's the way of Jesus. It's all really about relationships, isn't it? Relationships. And we can be so busy with all kinds of things that we actually don't have time for meaningful relationship with unbelievers and therefore no time for those one-to-one evangelical evangelistic opportunities. But Jesus practiced one-to-one evangelism and mission all the time. Now, he preached to huge crowds, of course, and in fact, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. This is an essential part of the the church. Uh, The church should be preparing God's people to go out to do the one-to-ones. That's what we should be doing today. That's, in fact, what we are trying to do today. But but think about the one-to-ones. Who did he have a one-to-one with in John chapter 3? Anybody tell me? Please somebody tell me. Nicodemus, chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Chapter 5, 
the paralyzed man, and so it goes on. We're going to see that over and over again. Think about the rich young ruler. Think about blind Bartimaeus. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. Think about Jairus. The list goes on and on and on, one-to-one, one-to-one, one-to-one. We need to have relationships with people and then use those opportunities to share gospel good news. It's not rocket science. It's actually very simple. It's the reality of his gospel ministry, and we should do it his way. So that's the method. It's one-to-one. But his message is also very important. Verse 45, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is what Philip told Nathaniel. The message actually is about one person. Not the person we're witnessing to, but Jesus. The message is always about Jesus. Now, finding is very important here in these verses. You'll notice that Jesus finds Philip in verse 43. Philip finds Nathaniel in verse 45. And then uh, in verse 45, we have found. So there's finding and find all over the place. Actually, if you're put your thinking cap on, you'll realize Philip didn't find Jesus. It was Jesus who found Philip. His theology isn't kind of uh, fully formed yet, but he's getting there. But the point of the message is this. It's knowing Jesus personally. It's, It's finding that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder, is that your experience before we go any further? that you're saved by him and indwelt by him because you've had a one-to-one with him and it's an ongoing one-to-one by his spirit and you're satisfied in him and you have a deep longing for him. You can honestly say, yeah, I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. I know him because he found me and he saved me. One of the commentators I read this week said, Why are we so poor in our evangelism? Why is our evangelism so anemic in this modern age? Why are we so unable and unwilling to um, see people and introduce Jesus to people? And his answer, and he's he's probably right, is that we, we as the modern church have lost the sheer joy and the absolute wonder of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've lost the wonder of it all that Jesus would find us and save us and would want to use us. We've lost the wonder of it all. But Philip got it immediately. Jesus has found me, Philip thinks. I'm going to go out and I'm going to introduce him to others immediately. Didn't wait six months or six years. Philip was set on fire by the message and he was set on fire for the message. And look what he says. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The one to whom the whole of the Old Testament pointed. He's here. He found me. He's Jesus. The whole of time has been waiting for him. The whole of the Bible's pointed towards him and he's here. And then, of course, we have Nathaniel's response. Nazareth? Can you imagine? Can anything good come from there? 
It's like saying, can anything good come from Mahrumissin? Did anything ever good come from Mahrumissin? Uh, yes, somebody says. I came from Mahrumissin. <laughs> can, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. Nathaniel's uh, he's a wonderful fellow, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's a straight shooter, as somebody says. He's, a, he's honest. He's reliable. He just says what he thinks. And his attitude was, Nazareth? A, a dirty wee town like Nazareth? There's nothing good that's ever come from there. It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. How could anybody good come from Nazareth? But notice Philip's response, verse 46. Come and see. He doesn't argue with him. He doesn't get into some theological debate. No discussion. Just three words. Come and see. You see, he's learned from Jesus immediately. Because you remember back in verse 38... Where are you staying? The, the disciples ask. And what did Jesus reply? Come and you will see. This is the approach, you see, that Philip takes. Philip knew the message of, of Jesus. He also knew the method, one-to-one, come and see. And folks, that's the reality of, of gospel ministry. It's wrapped up in the way and the person of Jesus, the way he did things and the, who he is. The method is that kind of one-to-one uh, the message is him, Jesus. Now, think, think of your one-to-one evangelism. For example, you know, we'll, we'll keep on talking about Christianity Explored. You're probably fed up with hearing about it, but we'll keep on talking about it until it's over, until next year. But, but listen, think of inviting someone to Christianity Explored. You, you go to a friend and say, hey, wh- why don't you come to Cafe Casa with me? to hear about Jesus. And if they start to, you know, slag, oh, that nonsense, that, that rubbish, uh, you know, start to argue with you, don't you simply say, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Don't listen to others. Don't listen to skeptics. Come and see for yourself. Do you know, people did that last year, and there was at least one person who came, and came to faith in Jesus. Come and see. It's the essence and the reality of, of gospel ministry. It's all about his way, and it's all about him. Then lastly, Jesus is the glorious reward of his gospel ministry. Verses 47 to 51. Then when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here is a, a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is a little cryptic section. Bear with us. I think there is a lot of good teaching out of this section, but bear with us. But first of all, I think we've got to acknowledge it's not easy to witness. We, we all know that, isn't it? It's very, very difficult. It's hard work sharing Jesus in the world that is very opposed to him. In fact, it can be downright dangerous. So why do we bother? <clears throat> why do we bother? 
Well, first of all, again, we're commanded. We've said that right along with these three points. But in the grace of God, we're also offered some reward. And I think there are two rewards mentioned here. Knowing who Jesus really is. In other words, appreciating his personhood, his qualities. We see that in 47 through to 49. Now, we're short of time, but can I tell you what most people think is happening here? Now, this is just a bit of conjecture. There are other theories, but this is what I think happens, and I'm led by people who are more qualified than I am. What we think is happening here is Nathaniel is sitting under a fig tree. He's getting some cover from the the day's heat. And he's meditating or perhaps even studying Scripture. And it seems as if in his head or perhaps right on his lap, he's thinking about Genesis 28 and the story of Jacob and his dream at Bethel of angels ascending and descending on a staircase to heaven. Now, we're soon going to study that on Sunday night just in a couple of weeks' time. You say, well, where do you get that from? Well, there's two clues. Verse 51 is a clear reference to the ascending and descending of angels, which fits in very well with that story. But also verse 47, notice what he says there. Here is a, trust, sorry, here is a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. Jacob was also known as Israel. And sorry if you're called Jacob, but at least one Jacob here. Jacob was also known as a deceiver or somebody who said false things. So Nathaniel is thinking about meditating on Jacob and Genesis 28, and then Jesus comes along and speaks to him in verse 47, and verse 47 could, could well be translated or paraphrased, here is a true Jacob in whom there is no Jacob. Here's a, a, a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. Remember, Jacob means, Israelite means false. So here's a true Jacob in whom there's no Jacob. It sounds cryptic to us, but it rocks Nathaniel's mind and soul. How did he know what I was thinking about? So he responds in verse 48, how do you know me? Jesus answered the end of verse 48, I, I saw you, I, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. I read your mind, Nathaniel. I know exactly what you are doing under the fig tree, and I'm going to tell you something in code that nobody else will understand, but you will. I'll tell you what you were thinking about. And Nathaniel realized he was in the presence of God, the all-knowing one, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and his only suitable response was verse 49. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. See the great result about meeting Jesus is that we know who he really is. That's the reward. Listen to it again. Nathaniel studying the word, meditating on Genesis 28, waiting for the Messiah. We bet like Simeon and Anna looking for God. He's having a spiritual experience. And then suddenly there's one standing in front of him and says, I know what's in your mind. And he worships him. See, one of the rewards of gospel ministry is that we uh, 
know who he really is? Do you know who he really is? Really? Because you see, we can't evangelize about Jesus until we know him. Know his greatness. Knowing his greatness inspires us. Knowing him is our reward. He just gives us little tasters of who he is and what he can do. But the second thing is that we'll see greater things. Verse 15, 51. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet, Nathaniel. Do you think my ability to read your mind is, is what I came to do? Well, I came to do that, but I came to do much, much, much more than that. And you're going to see heaven opened and the blessings flow down upon the Son of Man and then out from the Son of Man. You're going to see in reality what Jacob saw in his vision in Genesis 28. Heaven open, blessings flowing down onto Jesus and then from Jesus to his people. The reward of gospel ministry is that we know who Jesus really is. We see him as he really is, but we also, we'll see greater things. We will see God at work. We will see heaven opened up. We will see blessings flow. That's the reward of being part of his gospel team doing gospel ministry. A rich inheritance from Jesus that is reward to us. Kent Hughes writes in his commentary, all in Christ are living in the suburbs of heaven. All in Christ are living in the suburbs of heaven. And then he quotes Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see heaven open and blessing flow. And we have as a congregation seen that, haven't we? And we long for more. So whatever you've experienced of God to date, whether you were sitting under a fig tree or not, most likely you weren't sitting under a fig tree, but you could have been sitting under a Sunday school teacher or maybe under a sermon or at a mission or whatever. You've heard the call of the gracious God to come and follow him and you've received salvation. Jesus is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's more to be seen. As I pour out my blessing upon you and your family and your church and your community and your friendship circle. I suppose that it begs the question, do we really want to see greater things than us just receiving like a, a salvation ticket to heaven? Do we want to see greater things in our families? Do we want to see greater things in our children? Do we want to see greater things in our youth ministry and children's ministry? Do we want to see greater things in the church? I hope the answer is yes then hear the call to come to Jesus. Hear the call to obey Jesus. Follow long and hard after Jesus. Love and imitate Jesus. Invite people to Jesus because he's the ruler of his gospel ministry. He is the reality of his gospel ministry. 
And he's the reward of his gospel ministry. Let's go and do gospel ministry. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for this passage, some of it quite cryptic. We pray that you will write your word on our hearts and minds by your spirit. And we will be a people, a community, a fellowship that's committed to gospel ministry as we follow you as our vocation in life. We ask for this help and this power in Jesus' name. Amen.